Hello, America, and welcome to our second episode of Turning Point USA Radio, your home for all things Turning Point USA. Uh, this is brought to you by AmericasWebRadio.com. I'm your host, Bree Binder, and today we have some awesome guests on our show. First up is Crystal Clanton, who is the National Field Director at Turning Point USA. She was born and raised in Chicago and is a regular contributor at Highline News at Highline.org. Hey, Crystal. Hi, Bree. How are you? Great. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, thank you. Um, so tell us a little bit about uh, the field program and kind of, you know, your plans for how you see it growing. So, yeah, so... The first time we really expanded our field program was last fall, and that was with our 10-week Big Government Sucks campaign, and that was super successful. We brought that to over 800 college campuses across the country. We engaged hundreds of thousands of students and distributed tons of educational material and things like that all across college campuses. And this fall we are doing that again, but it's going to be a 15-week program, so a little bit longer, and we have some new exciting issues. We're going to be addressing things like the war on women, um, or the so-called war on women, I should say, uh, capitalism and why that's so important, and a couple other issues that we did last time around. So it should be a good program this fall. That's awesome. Are there any new areas that you're excited to see growth and expansion in? Yeah, so we're kind of growing all over the country. Um, we're going to have a big staff in Oregon, as well as really increase our staffing numbers in Florida, Ohio, Virginia, North Carolina, states like that. And then we're also going into some brand-new states. Um, we'll be in Alabama, Tennessee, states like that. So it's fun to see us grow all over. That's really exciting. Um, so tell us a little bit about Hypeline.org. Yeah, so the idea for Hypeline came after kind of realizing how much young people, how much time young people spend on the Internet and on Facebook and on Twitter getting their news from there. So we noticed that people read BuzzFeed a lot. And that if you look on Facebook, you know, especially with young people, they're always sharing these funny kind of catchy articles, and really the right doesn't have a lot of news going out in that type of format. So we decided that we wanted to kind of make a, a buzzfeed of the right, give it a conservative spin, and put news out there in a way that young people actually want to read it. So that's kind of where the idea came from. Cool. Um, what's been your favorite article on there so far? Oh, it's hard to say. I, I'd say some of my favorites have been the, um, you know, four things you have to do in Iowa if you want to be president or five things you see at every Texas political event because it's, it's kind of, mm -hmm. you know, fun to see what happens all over the country. Cool. Um, so how can our, our listeners get involved or? Yeah, we'd, for, we'd, we'd love to have more writers. Uh, anyone is welcome to apply. So if you go to hypeline.org, and that's H-Y-P-E-L-I-N-E.org, if you look at the very top, there's a button that says Become a Contributor. You click on that, fill out that form, and we'll be in touch with you after that. Cool. Um, so looking back on this last year, what has been kind of your favorite thing that's happened during the field program? Yeah, that's a good question. There's been a lot of things, but probably the most exciting thing was hitting our 800 campus mark, um, just because that's there's a huge number of campuses for a youth organization, especially an organization that, you know, was only founded in 2012. So getting to that number and just seeing our reach and being in all 50 states is really exciting and knowing that, you know, we're impacting students literally everywhere all across the country. So that's probably the best thing. Awesome. And we're doing, we're doing how many face-to-face -face conversations? 
It's like we're doing over 22,000 a day. So that's, that's um, insane. And those are face-to-face communications, talking with students about issues that matter and giving them things to walk away with. So, I mean, that's what, um, you know, Obama for America did in 2012, and that's what we're trying to do this time around. Definitely. Do you have a favorite uh, week of the Big Government Sucks campaign or a pet issue that you say you're pretty passionate about? Yeah, I mean, Obamacare is really important to me because I personally lost my health care because of that legislation, and I saw a lot of other people that were impacted by it. Um, so that issue means a lot to me. And then also, as far kind of addressing the, the left war on women and how big government's actually the war on women, and I think that's an important issue as well because women tend to get grouped into being single-issue voters, and the left likes to say that all women care about is birth control or issues like that, and that's just not true, so... It'll be fun to talk about how big government policies are actually more harmful to women. So, why do you why do you think that is? Why do you think the left has done such a good job at making it seem like there's a war on women? Well, for a long time, they were the only side that really talked about it, and the right kind of played defense. And this fall, we're going to play offense, and we're going to say, "No, you guys are the ones with the war on women, and you guys are the ones that pass lots of regulation and policies that take away jobs, which hurt women more than anything." So. Um, you know, I think that they've just, they've kind of been winning the rhetoric war, but we're going to fight back this fall. Definitely. I'm really excited. Um, so what else do we do besides um, kind of activism on campus, or how can how can students get involved if they're yeah, not already? Yeah, so something we're working on this summer, and actually we have one of these coming up this week, is our leadership summit. So. What those are is we, we bring students together from all across the country, and Turning Point provides a lot of scholarships to make that possible for students to attend. And we do leadership training, activism training, activist development. We talk about um, career mentorship and things like that. So really taking people that mm-hmm. want to be good conservative leaders and giving them the tools and training needed to do that. So this weekend we start our Young Women's Leadership Summit. In July we have our Young Latino Leadership Summit. And then in August we have a high school conference. So um, definitely, if you're interested in one of those, check us out at turningpointusa.net, and you'll find info for applying. That's awesome. How many how many people do you think are going to be there at the women's summit? Yeah, the, the women's summit, we have over 100 confirmed girls, and then, um, you know, we're still collecting applications for the other ones, so we'll see. That's really exciting. Uh, who's your favorite speaker coming on uh, for the women's conference? Um, that's a good question. There, there's a lot of great speakers, but uh, probably the one I'm most looking forward to is um, the county clerk from where I live, which is Willard Hewlander. She uh, was the county clerk up until last election cycle, and um, she's going to be talking to our attendees about being a, a young female in politics and what it's like and some of the hurdles she experienced and how she overcame them, and that I think will be a really good speech for the girls to hear. Yeah. Kind of touching on that same thing, I mean, you're a, you know, we're all young women and, and men in politics. Um, what kind of struggles have you overcome or you want to talk about? Yeah, well, Working I mean, politics. naturally, that's a good question. So naturally, politics has a lot more males and females involved, especially in, um, you know, nonprofit organizations and things like that. So it's been great to be part of that. And I, I think that, you know, Turning Point actually has more females on staff than males. So we're kind of trying to change that. But um, it's, it's been great to, to be part of this and to, to get to have so much, um, so many opportunities to advance what Turning Point's doing. And I hope with our Young Women's Summit that we can get even more females involved and interested in taking on leadership roles. Definitely. Um, 
So how did the idea for Big Government Sucks come come about? Yeah, so I can't take credit for it. It was all Charlie Kirk, our founder, but um, he was thinking about, you know, how do we reach young people with a message that the left has totally won? Um, you know, young people loved Obama. They like things that Obama stands for. How are we ever going to win that message? And he was like, well, we need to talk about it in a way that resonates with young people and use words that they use, and that's kind of where big government sucks came from. And we thought, you know, if we pick a simple talking point or a simple sound bite that, you know, isn't a 10-page policy report, that that will draw their attention, get their interest, and then we can have the discussions from there. Awesome. I think that was so cool on campus. I got a lot of really, really great responses, um, especially when you go on to more of the conservative campuses and, and they see sucks and they're like, oh my gosh, it's a bad word, but it's so cool, so they want to get involved, and it was really neat seeing that. Mm-hmm. Um, so what else can students do? Yeah, so besides writing for, for Hypeline and attending some of our summits, um, we definitely encourage everyone at turningpointusa.net slash get involved to sign up to be a campus activist or to start a chapter or join a chapter that already exists. Um, that's kind of the heart of what Turning Point does. We uh, you know, really want activists on campus talking to their peers. That peer-to-peer interaction is so important. So you know, starting a chapter, being part of one, handing out materials, doing activism events, getting more people involved is um, kind of the core of what we do. So definitely uh, check out turningpointusa.net slash get involved to learn more about how to do that. Awesome. And then um, what was your favorite event that we've done kind of leading up to our three-year anniversary? Yeah, so this past March, um, that's maybe a question for me because I thought it was the best ever. Um, we did, we brought 100 or so kids to CPAC, which is the Conservative Political Action Conference in Washington, D.C., and we uh, sponsored all the students to attend. We had eight booths all put together, so we had a huge exhibit hall display we recruited over 4,000 new students at CPAC, and we um, handed out our Big Government Sucks stickers and buttons, which you see in all of the CPAC pictures. We did some surveys. We did a straw poll. Um, so it was just really fun to, to reward students in that way, bring them to CPAC, help, help them to experience the kind of what the conservative movement is and hear from some of the best speakers. So that was a lot of fun. Awesome. And can you touch on what the – the Ted Cruz rally that we did and, and the Rand Paul and our Freedom yeah. Rally? Yeah, so one of the nights of CPAC, usually at CPAC there's events in the evening that people can go to, and one of the nights we hosted Senator Cruz and Senator Paul for a big government sucks rally, and they both spoke to over 1,100 students, and uh, they talked about why big government sucks and why, um, you know, the next generation of it is going to be the, the leading force in fixing the problems that we have, and um, it was Super amazing turnout, one of the most well-attended events ever at CPAC and the biggest youth event that Senator Cruz had ever spoke, had ever um, had a chance to speak at. So it was a great event for us, a great event for them, and I think a lot of people are glad they came. So we'll be doing that again next year. At CPAC? Yeah. Oh, how fun. Um, and for those of people who um, aren't so inclined with um CPAC, can you, I guess, give an example of what it feels like to be at CPAC for a young activist? Yeah, so CPAC is the biggest gathering of conservatives ever, besides, I guess, the Republican National Convention. So 
um, over 10,000 people come to D.C. for this conference, and you hear from all the conservative speakers, so all the senators that are um, you know, invited to speak, people from the House, um, people, even celebrities. They had people from the Dynasty and, and other shows like that there. So um, you hear a lot of speakers. You get training from different organizations. Turning Point did a training, the Leadership Institute, organizations like that, and then you get to network and meet with um, you know all the attendees from across the country. So for a young person, it's a great opportunity to learn about the different organizations that are out there, hear from the best leaders in the movement, and get to know other conservatives. That sounds awesome. Well, we are very excited and uh, looking forward to growing in all sorts of areas of the country um, under your awesome leadership and guidance. Uh, this is Crystal Clanton, for those of you who might just be turning, tuning in. Uh, she's the best planner in politics. She's been absolutely amazing to work with. Um, and thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm Georgia author Doug Dahlgren. I'll be hosting a new program here on America's Web Radio. We call it The Prologue. Now, you may not yet be familiar with me or my work, and that's the point of the whole show. There are many talented writers out there that you haven't heard of yet. Now, a prologue is an introduction to a piece of literature or perhaps music, and its intention is to hook you into the story or that piece of music. In today's cluttered world of new authors and books, it can be costly and time-consuming to sample everything that's out there. That's where my new show can help. I'll introduce you to the author and their book in an hour-long discussion that just might interest you and entertain you. We hope long enough that you'll want to buy the writer's book. So join me, won't you, right here starting June 12th and continuing on Fridays after that at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, right here on America's Web Radio. That's the prologue with Doug Dahlgren. I look forward to meeting you. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Hey guys, and welcome back to Turning Point USA Radio. Um, I have an amazing guest with us right now. Her name is Ashley Dobson. She is the editor at Red Alert Politics and is a proud native Texan. Woo, we love our Texans. Um, she graduated from Southern Methodist University, SMU, with a degree in journalism. She's worked at several newspapers across the South, including the Dallas Morning News, uh, the American Press in Lake Charles, and the Star News in Wilmington, North Carolina. Um, she loves her puppy Lizzie, karaoke, fried food, and Coke-flavored ices. And a fun fact is she's sung Avril Lavigne's Complicated, at karaoke in 14 different countries. You sound so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on the show. Um, no so problem. Tell our listeners a little bit about what Red Alert Politics is and why it's so cool. So Red Alert Politics is a sister publication to the Weekly Standard and the Washington Examiner, and uh, but we're focused on millennials. So anybody under 30, uh, we're here for you. And we really try to get young people involved in politics, which is why we're so interested in Turning Point and why our organizations really complement each other in a lot of ways. Um, we're 
kind of interested in taking the news of the day, the political news of the day, and making it more interesting to young people, um, and not just writing about it in the same old boring way that everyone else is, and also kind of finding a unique angle on it. Um, we're also interested in kind of writing about the stuff that most of us care about a little bit more. So we write a lot about student loans and student loan debt because most of us are still struggling with that. Um, everybody who works here is a millennial, um, and so we are the target audience that we're trying to reach. And uh, we care, you know, a lot of it is um, activism journalism, I guess you could say. Um, and it's a, it's a great place to work, and it's a, it's a really – uh, it's a great, I guess, movement to be a part of. So. Definitely. Um, we're so excited to be talking with you. And um, one of the really cool um, stories I was reading on your website is the Los Angeles unions trying to ex be exempt from the $15 an hour minimum wage thing that they just passed, which makes me sick because I'm a you know, born and raised in Los Angeles. So how how do you feel about it? Tell us a little bit about that. Yes, this is just a classic example of liberal logic, I think. Um, so basically, Los Angeles uh, just recently became the largest city in America to approve a $15 minimum wage, uh, which is something uh, you, we've seen this movement kind of moving its way across the country. Uh, Seattle has approved one. Uh, lots of smaller cities. There's even one city, a very small city in California, that has a $16 minimum wage. I mean, we're seeing this pop up all over. And it's usually a very heavily union-backed movement. Unions uh, try to tie it together with the right to organize. Um, they're the ones who come and lobby for this thing. Uh, and in Los Angeles, it was an extremely union-backed movement. It was months of backroom talks. Um, they, they debated about this for almost a year, is what I was reading about in the Los Angeles Times. The unions are the ones who pushed for it. They got their victory um, back in May uh, to get the preliminary approval. And then right after they get this preliminary approval, the unions come back to the council and they're like, well, um, this is great, but actually unions would no, don't actually want to be a part of it. Unions would like um, to be exempt from the minimum wage. Um, so hypocritically, they want exemptions from the same policy. So they're saying, um, we really want this rule. We want it for all these businesses, but we're saying that not for us. Um, and a lot of people are saying that this was kind of their ploy to get more businesses to become, you know, to get their employees to unionize because it would get their um, get more people on their roles because they wouldn't mm -hmm. have to pay this higher wage. Uh, and it's just a ridiculous thing. You know, it's, a, it's great to have one set of rules when it applies to everyone else, but it's not so much when it applies to you and yours. I mean, it's the same thing that we see in a lot of, with a lot of, uh, a lot of liberal policies. You know, we saw it with Obamacare with Congress, and, um, and it's just, it's the same thing over and over and over again. Um, 
and the city council kind of pushed that provision to the side. They have officially approved the $15 minimum wage, um, but they're saying that they're not going to vote on the exception for the unions uh, until later. Good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so that's kind of good to hear. I mean, they are still technically considering it, so we have yet to see if that will come through, if there's enough pressure there. Uh, but, you know, at least they've been rebuffed for now. Yeah. Why do you think, I love this hashtag, by the way, hashtag liberal logic. I think that's yeah. hilarious. It's so true. Um, but why Why do you think these people are, are advocating for this $15 minimum wage that's crazy, that's going to do so much harm to the city? This is something that I, I and something I, I talk about a lot because I can't believe that this is something that conservatives have kind of lost the narrative on because um, I personally can't think of anything more demeaning than having somebody tell me, you know, if I, you know, if I was working a minimum wage job, I find the Democrats' argument just incredibly patronizing and demeaning. It says, you know, you're not better than this job. You're not, and there's nothing wrong with working a minimum wage job at all. Like, a, but yeah. to be told that you're this is as good as it's ever going to get for you. I just find that incredibly demeaning, that you're not better than this job. Uh, this is as good as it's ever going to get for you, so we'll just go ahead and throw you a couple of extra dollars an hour uh, as long as you keep voting for us. And it's just kind of a ridiculous argument to me because um, – but it seems to be one that resonates with people for some reason, and they they have gotten a lot of votes on the backs of that. Um, and and conservatives have really lost that narrative kind of on a national scale. And it's one that I think um, that if we helped explain it a lot better, uh, you know, our the story of kind of working your way back up and kind of telling it from a, a perspective of, uh, no, the, the beauty of not having a minimum wage means that you have choices because you deserve choices and that you deserve, um, you know, to have the ability to do anything that you want to do uh, with your life. I think more people would believe that. It's just that they've been told for so long that minimum wage job is as good as they can do, uh, and, and it's gotten really convoluted for them, I think. Definitely. Just the just the idea of, you know, a, a minimum wage job is designed to give you the minimum skills that you need to go above and beyond to better yourself. And so the exactly. whole idea of, what? Uh, this whole idea of, you know, saying, well, I can't make a, a living and, and raise my children on that. You know, well, it's not designed for that. It's designed to give you necessary tools so you can go on to bigger and better things, right? Exactly, and it's a you know, and the we'll find we wrote a story recently that really took off on our website because um, there was a, a guy in Seattle who was uh, who was really excited, a young guy who was very excited about the fifteen dollar minimum wage because he had been told that his life was going to get so much better because here he was <laughs> finally about to be able to you know really afford everything that he wanted and uh, he was about to make fifteen dollars an hour, but the business that he worked for now has to shut down because they can't afford 
to pay people $15 an hour. And so, you know, he was going from making $15 an hour to now $0 an hour. So the minimum wage doesn't help when it means that your business has to shut down or when um, positions get taken over by automated uh, services, as a lot of fast food restaurants have threatened to do. Um, because, I mean, the thing about these jobs that are, are minimal skills is that they can be oftentimes replaced by you know, by automated machines or, you know, they're, they're not necessarily things that we need people for. Um, they're done by people now because that is the cheapest option, but if that's not the case, then, then enterprising business owners will find another way. Yeah, it's at the expense of, like, the least productive worker. It's not yeah. at the expense of, you know, the company because they just won't, you know, the, the more productive worker is going to get a raise anyway, or they'll get another offer for another job and, and get paid more that way. It's not and a lot of them, a lot of people have brought up, too, that what happens, so you're giving these people on the bottom a $15 minimum wage. Um, and so right now it's structured so these people get $12 or whatever they're making at the, at the minimum wage now. Uh, so then do you have to pay your managers a little bit more so that the balance stays exactly the same? I mean, so it's not really just the minimum wage that's going up. It's every single cost is going up. As mm-hmm. a result of this, it's really a big domino effect that I think a lot of people aren't looking at. Yeah, and, and how many times have you been to a McDonald's or a, you know, a Dairy Queen and, and – you look at the work ethic of these people sometimes, not all of the time, but most of the time, and half of them are on their cell phones and, you know, or they're, they're dropping things. Or it's, it's not designed. $15 an hour is so much. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. It's certainly more than I deserved at my minimum wage job in high school because I uh, I probably barely deserved the seven twenty five I got when I worked at Ace Hardware. <laughs> Definitely Ace Hardware, yes. <laughs> yeah, I think I think my first job was I like rolled silverware at a restaurant for like barely anything. I was like fifteen years old and went in and was like. Please let me work here. I want to work. <laughs> yeah, that was basically mine. I had no right to work in a hardware store. I didn't know anything about hardware, and I was terrible at the job. But they let me work there anyway, and I attempted to be a cashier, and it was not great. <laughs> I was not a good employee. I know that now that I am a much better employee. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, so tell Tell us all about how people can get involved to be um, a writer for you guys or just anything else that you guys need from consumers. Yes, and uh, you guys will be talking a little bit later with our uh, our new uh, campus coordinator, Megan Keenan, and she heads this program up, but we have just recently launched launched a college contributor program. So basically what we are hoping to do, um, particularly here as we head into 2016, but really about a lot of things, um, but what we are looking for is for people on college campuses uh, to write for us. Uh, You can come be a college contributor for uh, Red Alert Politics. Uh, We are mostly looking for stories about 2016, covering it from the ground up, hearing what people on your campus have to say about 2016, um, and finding out really what millennials think about um, the election. Uh, and, you know, if, if uh, 
if somebody, if one of the candidates is coming to your college, we definitely want to have you cover it for us that way. Um, and so when I was in college, I, I went, uh, I was a freshman the year that um, it was Obama versus McCain, and there was so much excitement about that race. And I don't always in 2012, that excitement was not really there. And I don't know if this, if on college campuses there is that much excitement for this year's race. I, I don't see that kind of excitement for Hillary. Yeah. The Republican field is so large right now that I don't really know what the excitement level is. Um, so I, I'm just kind of curious to hear about it on the ground level from people who are really there. And we're hoping that um, by asking people who are, who are, um, on college campuses to write for us, um, that we'll really get to hear about it. And uh, we're also awesome. looking for stories on free speech, um, for, you know, crazy liberal bias um, that you're seeing on your campus. Uh, we want to hear about all of that. Um, and there is cool. a, uh, on our website, redalertpolitics.com, there is a button down at the bottom called Write for Us, and you can just submit uh, an email through that and apply awesome. that way. Well, thank you so much, Ashley, for coming on, and we'll hear a little bit more um, about this program from Megan in a little bit. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Hey, guys, and welcome back to Turning Point USA Radio, your home for all things Turning Point USA. Uh, we are here with Megan Keenan, who is a campus coordinator for Red Alert Politics. She is originally from the great state of Illinois, which is where we're headquartered, and graduated from the University of Illinois uh, Urbania campaign in 2013 with a degree in journalism. Previously, she worked in public relations and is also a former Red Alert intern. She's a health and fitness enthusiast who enjoys being active and exploring new places and trying to teach herself how to cook. Hi, Megan, it's so great to have you on. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, so tell us a little bit about what is going on with this campus uh, contributor program. Sure. Um, since we uh, here at Red Alert Politics are a publication written for young conservatives, 
Uh, we want college students to be able to have their voices heard on our website, and um, we thought that would be a great way to get them engaged. We also, uh, as Ashley talked about, want to follow the 2016 election uh, from the ground and have the perspective of young people. And we thought what better way to do that than have a network of college students on campuses across the country who can uh, report on stories for us if they have any uh, speeches, events, uh, politicians visiting their school, um, or just to talk to their fellow students about what they're thinking about the race. And um, also, aside from 2016, there have been some some issues recently that uh, I've written about for Red Alert Politics about um, student groups on campus who are having their uh, their right to freedom of speech violated all the time. Um, Recently in Idaho, a uh, university just had to settle a lawsuit for $20,000 because they um, were not allowing a pro-life student group to voice their opinions. Um, so it's just crazy things like this happening all the time. There's free speech zones on college campuses that are just very oppressive. It's so terrible for us, too, and our, our field staff. I mean, we, we run into that almost every day across the nation, um, and it's detrimental to the success of these organizations because it's, it's America. We're here in America, and if we want to talk about certain issues that are important for students to know about, we should be able to do that and not have that be stripped of our privileges. So, yeah, that's a huge issue for us, so we're excited to partner up with you on that. Yeah, that's great. Um, um, you would love to, to talk more with, with students who are involved in Turning Point. Yeah. Did you, as a, as a college student, did you see that happening? Did you feel like your freedom of speech was taken? Um, you know, I feel like I was very unaware at the time uh, when I was a college student, and I'm sure there were plenty of instances like this, but it wasn't really on my radar. And um, so, yeah, it's it's crazy to see this now and and think about what was actually going on at my school. Um, I went to a large state school in Illinois, so um, I'm sure there are, are plenty of similar issues. Mm-hmm. Um, one, of the, one of the articles that I saw that you wrote is if family members face $500 fines and possible arrest for excessive cheering at a high school graduation. Can you tell us a little bit yeah. about that? Um, yeah, this is ridiculous. Um, it became a national story pretty quickly. The New York Times picked it up. Um, but this high school in Mississippi, uh, Senatobia High School, was holding their graduation ceremony, and uh, they were told by the school superintendent um, not to cheer, as you typically hear uh, all of us who've been to a graduation ceremony, they're so long, um, mm-hmm. and then people cheering makes it longer, so they always tell you, you know, hold your applause. Um, but the, the four family members who cheered for their, uh, their graduates um, were kicked out of the ceremony, and then a few days later, they actually were served with arrest warrants for disturbing the peace um, and faced 
$500 fine and a maximum of six months in jail, which is a bit ridiculous. Um, as local news covered it, one of the men who was uh, was served yelled out, you did it. Um, another one, another woman just yelled out her niece's name, one word, and that's it. And so it just seems a little excessive of a penalty um, to definitely punish these families who are proud of their kids. Definitely. I remember when I graduated high school, um, our valedictorian was from, she was from a different country, and she was the first person in our family to, like, graduate and, and go through high school, and she got accepted to, I don't know, some great college. And, and you know, as a family member, if, if that was my daughter, if that was, you know, somebody that, that I watched go through this, I would be so excited. Right, and so yeah, it's hard to hold it in. To be, to be given the possibility of going to jail for you know, six months or paying fines for just being excited that your child or family member is intelligent and can do this is absurd. Right. And and one of the things that one of these people brought up is, uh, you know, I can understand why I was told to leave, but I don't understand why I'm being penalized this much. Um why, why do you think? Why do you think they are? Why do you think it got to that level? Um, according to the superintendent, he just really wanted to maintain order at the graduation ceremony. And I guess a few years ago, they didn't have this policy, and things got out of hand. But um, it just seems like. Uh, He's abusing his power just a little bit here. And uh, does just cheering at a graduation ceremony really qualify as disturbing the peace? Um, it seems like something that people should expect. Definitely. Um, so what other stories um, kind of come up in, in your head as, as, like, a couple of your favorites going on right now? Um, well, uh, going back to, um, to free speech issues on campus, uh, a while ago there was, um, a small school in Texas who, um, one student there was attempting to set up a Young Americans for Liberty chapter at her school and, uh, was told that she couldn't display signs um, trying to recruit students to join. And so um, that's just another sort of issue where administrators are um, are using these free speech zones on campus to, to oppress students' freedom of speech. And cases like these, uh, if... If we can report them in the news and get them out there, um, students often win their cases. So that's another thing that we would really like to have for our, our campus uh, contributor program. Definitely. Um, are you talking about the the one from, oh, what was that school 
it, it's not a blend. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. She's she's great. I think I've I've emailed with her a couple times. She's she's an awesome activist. So it was awesome to see that story kind of get a lot of traction and make that you know her voice be heard. Right. Um, cool. Yeah. Um, I see here. There's a there's a poll. That is, um, millennials are least likely to support free speech and are rightly offended. Do you want to talk about that story a little bit? Uh, sorry, what was that? Um, it says there's a poll that you guys conducted or um, a Pew Research Center poll on free speech that mm-hmm. says um, this is the era of trigger warning and that they're least likely to support free speech rights. Is that? Uh, who's least likely to support free speech? Um, millennials. The poll found that millennials were least likely to support free oh. speech rights, particularly when the speech could be seen as offensive. Uh, but I think the opposite. You do, yeah. I think millennials are, they should be, I mean, well, this is my opinion, but I think they should be advocating for free speech. And, you know, I think maybe people are kind of hesitant to be that guy, you know, on college campuses. Sure. Um, or, or that girl, you know, and, and that's what's leading with these, these millennials into being like, well, you know, maybe something's going wrong on, on my campus, but um, I don't want to say anything. I don't want to be seen as, like, weird or, you know. Sure. Yeah, and it could even be just going back to what I was saying, like, me personally, how I wasn't aware of uh, what was happening. Uh, it may be that students are just sort of accepting what they know or what their Mm -hmm. administration has told them. Yeah, they're just being indoctrinated by this liberal bias. And, you know, they're just kind of turning into these school zombies that, you know, just memorize these facts to pass a test. And then they talk about it after the test or after school with each other, and they're just like, I can't believe this is what we're learning, like, and maybe they don't even know that they're being indoctrinated. Sure, yeah. And um, one other thing I wanted to bring up was the um, University of Washington students who held uh, a rally on their campus last weekend uh, to protest the Greek system. Oh, yes. This is, uh, this that, is fantastic. I just think this is ridiculous. <laughs> Right. This has been, like, sort of a crazy story that's come up. Um, and you can, uh, you can like, view the Facebook page for the event. And there's supposed to be, it said, over a 1,000 students attended. Um, I think it was a case of they just accepted on Facebook and there wasn't that many people there. But there were hundreds of students who came out um, and accused fraternity and sorority members of, um, just everything, all problems of race on their campus or racism, um, 
violence towards women and sexual assault and just uh, blamed it sort of all on the Greek system, which is kind of crazy. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was I was a sorority woman in college, and um, so just the idea of, like, check your privilege block party and having them, you know, just slam Greek life is crazy to me. Right, exactly. Um, we're going to have Alicia Hester on in a little bit, and we're going to go over this a little bit more. Um, Megan, thank you so much for coming on the show. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Mm-hmm. Have a great one. All right, thanks. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Hey, and welcome back to Turning Point USA Radio. Um, I'm Bree Binder, and I am here with. Probably one of my favorite people ever. Her name is Alicia Hester. She is Turning Point USA's new uh, North Carolina field director in Charlotte, North Carolina. She originally was in Houston, and I got the privilege to work with her at one of Turning Point USA's largest chapters um, in Texas, which is Sam Houston State University. And she just decided to take the plunge to work full-time with us in North Carolina and kind of do some schooling online, and we're so excited to have her as part of our team. Hey, Alicia. Thanks for coming on. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, so I don't know if you if you heard a little bit about what we were just talking about this last um, segment, but we were talking about the, the Greek life protest at this school. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically they protested all these Greek students saying, you know, they, um, that, that they were so exclusive and, and were racist and, and they called us, you know, all sorts of names and stuff. So I'm, I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on this. Um, I mean, being a sorority woman myself, like, I'm just, like, appalled by it. And we're just, you know, we're organizations that just as others. And you know what? We get out in the community a lot more than most organizations on campus. But, I mean, it's something that, like, Greek people have to deal with daily. Like, I remember walking on my campus, and um, 
there was a preacher named Brother, Brother Jed that always come, he traveled through campuses, and, like, he would stop and shout and call me a sorostitute and all these terrible things just because I'm in Greek life. And it's just, I was just appalled that, you know, people have such a hatred for people in just another organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I know on our campus, we really promoted, you know, non-discriminatory recruitment and no hazing, and we let, you know, anybody who wanted to rush was allowed to, and we gave them that opportunity um, yeah, to hear that it's not, or to, that we're being perceived that it's not that way is, is concerning. <laughs> Yeah, it is. I mean, we have, in my chapter, we had black girls, we have Hispanic girls, we have um, Asian girls, like, you know, we have people of all descents and different backgrounds and everything, so to say that we're not diverse or welcoming is just, it kind of breaks my heart a bit because, I mean, I loved my three years in my sorority, um, and it's just, you know, it's just sad to see that. Um. So what what else are some good things about sorority? But you know, obviously we have we have philanthropy. Um, why don't you why don't you explain a little bit about what what other awesome things Greek Life does? Um, well, I mean, we have our like every sorority has their philanthropy and fraternity. Um, we also, but not only we don't just get out in the community. Like we got to go. My school is in Huntsville, and we got to go to Houston for a Texans games. Um, and hand out ribbons and stuff like that. We try to get out there as much as we can. But we're also on our own campus, too. Um, we get involved in other organizations, like myself, which is how I got involved with Turning Point USA, actually. Um, and um, you know, we're out on the campus every day doing volunteer work where we work on campus uh, every time. And it's, it's such an amazing opportunity to get to do that with such strong and end of strong women. Uh, and some men too. And it's just, I loved what I did in my three years, and I would hope that everyone else can get involved themselves. You know, it's not for everyone. I'll, I'll say that, and you know, but every organization isn't for everyone, even if it's Greek or not Greek. So you just got to find your place. Yeah, our whole thing was find your fit. <laughs> yeah, that's what we did. Uh, so, so how is North Carolina going? Tell us a little bit about what you plan to do and and, and dominate that region. We're going to miss you here in Houston, but yeah. well, today actually begins day one, which is it's exciting. It's exciting. Um, I'm really excited to bring. I mean, you know me. I was so I love being energetic, um, getting out there and stuff. I plan to bring that here to to North Carolina, and hopefully that can you know, help me get the numbers that I need to get and get the students involved and educated and wanting to find the same passion that I found for it. So, because when I started with Turning Point USA, I didn't know anything about politics or anything, but I was with you all for literally a semester, and I just got so much more educated myself, involved, and it was such a fun experience growing and learning uh, new things. And I actually ended up, like, not just, you know, reading what, Charlie Post or so or Turning Point Post, but, you know, looking into it myself, which my parents were shocked to see that. They too, you know? <laughs> That's awesome. Um, what, what was kind of the most, 
what did you get out of Turning Point, and what what made you want to work with us full time? What kind of turned that light on for you? Um, I just I love what we do. I love that we reach out to the youth. Um, not many organizations do that. Um, I've been involved with other organizations that try to do that, but aren't as successful as Turning Point has been. Um, I I love that we do it in a fun way where we like the game of loans and all these fun things. Uh, like we just do all these fun, awesome ways to reach out to kids and connect to them, like with the Hunger Games thing too. Um, and I just love that. And I was like, you know what? Let's let's do it. I want to be a part of 2016. I want to you know make sure that you know wherever I am becomes just as energetic as I am. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, are you coming to the women's conference this next week? I am very excited to. Um, it's I'm I'm really looking forward to it. There's so many great speakers. Um, so I'm I've got to meet some of these young women um, at CPAC this past year, and I'm really excited to see them again and see how much they've grown so far and get to meet all these new ones and hopefully get them as excited as we were at CPAC, too. Definitely. A lot of them went on to, you know, start chapters or get more involved after, mm-hmm. you know, we brought them out with us. And so I'm sure that will be exciting for you to see all your buddies again. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So um, there's a couple things going on in the news right now. Um, I kind of want your little take on it. Uh, how do you feel about the whole Bruce Jenner slash Caitlyn Jenner uh, winning the Courage Award over the double amputee veteran who, like, now does CrossFit competitions? <laughs> oh, goodness. I know, I mean, my views, I've already been, like, you know, attacked by my views personally, like, on it. But I just... Of all people, like, it just blows my mind that that's what society has come to. Um, actually, I'm not that shocked, but it just hurts my mind more so. But I just, I, it, there's hard to find words for how it feels. Um, I don't think, you know, to each their own is my view on it. But I don't like the whole, now transgender is being, like, pressed upon us, um, like, you know, we're being through the TV shows. Everyone's attacking people if you're not for it. Um, it's just, it's gotten out of hand. It's, it's like being shoved down our throats that we, we have to accept it. And, you know, I'll, I'll accept it to an extent, but, you know, I don't, it's not my view to agree with it. I, I think that, you know, God made you who you are, and why would you want to change that? Mm-hmm. Um, I, so that's, and I, well, I, I said that once and I got really attacked and they were like, oh, so you can dye your hair color? God made you a redhead, Alicia, but you dye it. And I was like, <laughs> I don't see that as the same, but okay. <laughs> yeah. What was so funny was in the Diane Sawyer interview, they, she asked, you know, Bruce Flash, Caitlin, I don't know, um, you know, something, and, and he was like, well, yeah, I'm really conservative. And she goes, wait, are you a Republican? And he goes, yeah. And all of these people on Twitter and, and Facebook went from supporting him, 
you know, these are liberals, you know, LGBT, whatever, activists, and they're like, oh, yes, he's so, so brave, and to hating him because he came out as, a, not as a transgender person, but as a Republican. Yeah, I saw that, and I was, uh, I think, I think it's an awesome opportunity for the Republicans because, you know, we don't have many people that are celebrities and proud to be Republicans. I mean, Nicki Minaj rapped about it. Um, I was voting for your pal Mitt Romney um, back a few years yeah. ago. Um, but you don't hear many celebrities that say that they're proudly conservative. And I think that was great. And the fact that he, she it, is transgender, <laughs> I don't know what, how to define it. I, she's a she now. Okay, okay. But um, I don't know how to define it, but, you know, that kind of helps us in the long run. And uh, Caitlyn Jenner It's an opportunity. Getting, yeah. It's an opportunity for us to talk about, about it, too. Yeah. yeah. To take back that narrative and kind of, you know, yeah. finally have Maybe. a winning... I think that there's some more Hollywood stars that are out there that are conservative, but haven't really come out as it in there because, you know, it'd be hard, you know, with the public you know, attacking them. I think hopefully it'll, you know, be a motivation to them to be like, hey, I'm conservative too and I'm proud to say it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, and I think that's what's so awesome about Turning Point. That's why I started, you know, getting involved in, and wanting to work there is just the fact that we're the ones out there making politics cool. You know, we're... Yeah. We're putting quotes of, of famous people who have said really conservative things and, and making memes out of them and, you know, turning it into a more fun issue than, you know, old, rich, white men, which, I mean, yeah. that's we're what I conservative. That's, yeah. yeah, that's we're not amazing. Old, that's men. my favorite part. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's my favorite not, part about training points. Is what? Um, how we, you know, we get pop culture and, you know, get it out there as conservative. That, it works. We get response from it. Mm-hmm. What was your favorite week of activism on campus? Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> oh, man. That's a tough one. It's kind of hard. All the weeks oh, came come together. On. <laughs> we had, um, like... You guys have, like, people doing backflips and stuff, like, flipping capitalism. Yeah, I mean, Sam Houston State University, that's where it's at, obviously. Um, No, I think mine was uh, the debt one. Um, Okay. Because a lot of people don't realize the impact of it on them, and I think it was awesome to, like, help them realize, you know, hey, like, you're going to graduate soon, this is really going to, you know, you're going to want to know about it. Definitely. Well, thank you so much, Alicia, for coming on the show. Uh, we love hearing from you, and I'm so excited to see you this weekend. Yes. All right. Look forward to it, Bree. Thank you. I just wanted to take a second to thank all of our guests for coming on the show today. We were really excited to have you guys on and looking forward to having all of our listeners tune in next week on Turning Point USA Radio. I'm your host, Bree Binder, and I'll see you next week.